Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. This is Crispin. Hey, today on the podcast, we have part 24 of our series from the Gospel of John. Today's message is entitled, Do You Know Him? We're continuing our look at uh, Jesus' message to the crowds gathered during the Feast of Tabernacles, as recorded in the Gospel of John. Hey, just a quick note, uh, coming up in September, we're going to be moving our service to 10 a.m. at our new location at 525 East Boston Street in downtown Covington. So just keep that in mind if you're coming to see us live. Well, we're going to go ahead and head to the talk, so thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. A little background on this text. Jesus is in the middle of this uh, festival of tabernacles in Jerusalem. And he's gone to the temple, the most holy place in Jerusalem, on, on one of the most holy festivals. And he's gotten up in the middle of this festival and he started uh, teaching. And in, in Jerusalem, there's a lot of people that want to kill Jesus. Uh, there are people who've been plotting on how they could take him out. And so Jesus gets up in the middle of this, and, and we continue with what we uh, were, were speaking a few weeks ago. In verse 19, Jesus says this, Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why are you looking for an opportunity to kill me? The crowd answered. You have a demon. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus answered them, I performed one work, and all of you were astonished. Moses gave you circumcision. It is, of course, not from Moses, but from the patriarchs, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Is this the Christ? Now some people of Jerusalem are saying, is not this man whom they are trying to, the, the man whom they are trying to kill? And here he is speaking openly, but they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah? Yet we know where this man is from. But when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus cried out as he was teaching in the temple, You know me. You know where I am from. I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true, and you do not know him. I know him because I'm from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to arrest him. But no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many in the crowd believed in him and were saying, When the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man has done? Okay, it's a long passage, probably a little hard to follow, uh, as a lot of stuff in the Gospel of John is. So I'm going to try to, to, to give you a little bit of what's happening here. Jesus, if we go back to John chapter 5, Jesus has healed... Okay, does anybody have a spare outline I could borrow? Just I always got to make sure I can follow along. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 6 through 18, we, we studied a couple of months ago. There was a man by the pool of Bethesda, which is a, a, a pool in, in Jerusalem that was uh, regarded both by the, the, the pagans and the Jews to have some kind of mystical healing power. It's kind of a superstitious place. And this guy had been hanging out there for 38 years. Jesus walks up to him and says, Do you want to be healed? And the guy yeah, says, yes. And, and he says, well, take up your mat and walk. Well, 
you would think that that would be pretty cut and dry. You do something great and, and heal a guy who's been stuck there for 38 years. I'm 39, and I can think, wow, if I'd spent my whole life next to a pool and somebody healed me, that would be pretty cool. But the Pharisees get offended with it because of the way that Jesus does it. He does it in a very provocative way. He heals the guy on the Sabbath. Not only that, he tells the guy to take up his mat and walk. There was actually a rule back then from the Talmud that, that said you can't carry around a mattress on the Sabbath day. They actually had that one covered. <laughs> and uh, so Jesus kind of deliberately picks a fight, says, okay, you're healed. Take up your mat and walk. So this guy's just doing what Jesus told him. The Pharisees are like, what are you doing? You crazy? You're carrying a mat around on the Sabbath. And he's like, the guy who healed me, who healed you? I was like, I don't know. And they, they finally figure out, after uh, some questioning, they, they, they finally figure out it was Jesus who healed this man. And it was at this point that people start plotting on how, on, on how they're going to get rid of Jesus because of that one thing. So here we are a couple of chapters later, uh, and this is probably a few months down the road because that last thing happened in the midst of a, a religious festival, which, which might have been uh, Pentecost in the spring uh, or Passover. But here we are a few months down the road. Jesus has snuck into Jerusalem and kind of ministering incognito because he knows people are there to kill him. Then finally on the last day of the festival, which is a Sabbath day, Jesus gets up there and he starts teaching. He's like, why are you guys trying to kill me? Now, this is kind of a funny thing because a lot of people in the crowd are like, dude, no one's trying to kill you, man. Why are you getting so upset? (laughs) Like, you got a demon or something? Why do you think people are out to get you? I'm not, you know, I'm not paranoid. It's just everyone's out to get me. No, um, Jesus, so there's some people that are visiting Jerusalem because they made their pilgrimage there. They, they aren't privy to everything going on. They got no beef with Jesus whatsoever. And Jesus isn't speaking to them, but they find it a little odd that he's like, why are you trying to kill me? Well, there are some people in the crowd who are trying to kill Jesus. And Jesus is speaking to them. And what Jesus does here is he confronts their religious hypocrisy. He accuses them of insisting on the Sabbath law on the one hand, but being ready to kill him on the other hand. <laughs> Last time I checked, um, killing someone, it's uh, breaking the Ten Commandments, right? It's against the law. And so here's the hypocrisy of it all. Jesus says, you guys, you say you believe in the law, but none of you follow it. For instance... If somebody needs to be circumcised to obey the old covenant law, you have no problem circumcising them on the Sabbath day. You will cut a piece of their flesh off on the Sabbath day. So you break the Sabbath. You break one rule in order to fulfill another one. He's like, so why do you have a problem with me? I'm not cutting something off of someone. I'm actually restoring the person to complete health. Not just that. As I talked about a few months ago, this guy who'd been by the pool of Bethesda, he wasn't just physically maimed. He wasn't just suffering from physical things. He would have been an outcast from community. He had no relationships. His whole world, his whole identity was that. He couldn't participate in religious life or anything like that. Jesus healed him physically, began the process of emotional healing, restored him to community. Jesus is like, why Is that such a bad thing? Do you realize that maybe your view of the whole law is askew? So he accuses them of assisting on the Sabbath law on the one hand, but being ready to kill him on the other. Ready to break one part of the law in order to uphold a different part. How can this be what Moses, or God for that matter, really intended? 
Have you ever heard of, of people who follow the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law? Right? It, it, there, there's probably entire industries of folks out there who, who try to help you figure out loopholes uh, for your business or for your taxes. Or there's, there's things that the government can do to, uh, you know, get you in trouble without real, you know, by following the letter of the law, but really not following the intent to, to bring justice. And, and people hate that. We hate it when, when because it, it, it smells like corruption, and you, you, you see court cases where you have lawyers who's like, oh, well, it may smell like corruption, but he's following the law here. And we're all like, oh, he's just a scumbag. He, he, he's cheated people. He's, he's lied. Yeah, but he followed the law. The, see, the, the, the Pharisees, they're following the letter of the law, but they've missed the intent of the law. See, God's ultimate purpose is that people would be healed, that they'd be reconciled, that they put back together, that the world would be made right. And the Pharisees, they've missed that. And Jesus calls them on their hypocrisy. You, you know the law. You're criticizing me of it, but you're missing the whole point. It's a good thing that someone got healed on the Sabbath. That's a good thing. God is for that. Something is wrong with you. And this is where it gets uh, really interesting because the real issue that Jesus confronts is they don't know God. <laughs> That's the real issue. It's not just that they're a bunch of legalists. They don't know God. They are indeed ignorant about something, but their real ignorance is not so much about him, Jesus, but about God. It isn't that they don't, it isn't that they do know God, but aren't sure if Jesus comes from God. It is rather that they don't even know God, and so naturally they cannot associate the Jesus they are seeing with the one true God. They don't even they don't even know God. That's the interesting that that's the the kind of reversal that we see all throughout the gospels. The people there, there's a lot of people who obviously know God a lot better than the religious crowd because when they see Jesus, they recognize him as Jesus. Prostitutes, tax collectors, fishermen. These people respond to Jesus. They kind of they have an idea what God looks like. But the Pharisees, the ones trained on knowing God, they got the wrong pictures. So when God shows up, they can't see it. As Jesus once told them, he says, you search the scriptures for you think in the scriptures you have life, but it's those scriptures that testify of me. And you can't see me standing in front of your face as God. It's possible to read the Bible like the Pharisees. Do you realize that? It's possible. I see it all the time. I'm, I'm guilty of it sometimes myself. It's, it's possible to look at the... I've, I've heard people refer to the Bible as, as a rule book for life or a, an owner's manual. Oh, I got a problem with this, man. I just need to get out the Bible and go to page, uh, whatever. Look up something in concordance. Uh, yeah. That's, that's not what God is getting at. The, the Bible is a story that points to Jesus. And if we miss that point, then we're going to end up like the Pharisees, not being able to see God. Maybe knowing a lot of knowledge, but not knowing him. I heard years ago, maybe you've heard this before. With the, the people that they train to, to spot counterfeit money, do they train these people by looking at all the counterfeits? And that would seem kind of logical, like, hey, you, you, this is the, what the counterfeiting people do. They, they do this technique and this technique, and, and let's study all their techniques. No, they don't train them that way. They train them by getting, getting them familiar with the real deal. 
People who are learning to spot counterfeit money, they study real money. They look at real money. They get accustomed with the feel of the fabric, the fibers that are woven in, the ink, every little line that makes it up. So when they come across something that is a counterfeit, it's obvious. You know, when I was a a new Christian, I remember listening to um, AM, AM radio. And uh, if you want to get some really good theology, don't listen to AM radio. <laughs> They'll let anybody have a radio show with, with any kind of crazy. But there was one guy that I remember hearing who he called himself, uh, I think, Bible Answer Man. And I'm like, cool. Oh, he's on Saturday. Okay, I didn't know he actually still existed. I'm sorry. I don't normally like to pick people out. But his whole radio program was about picking out counterfeit Christians. That was his whole thing. I don't know if he's changed his message at all. But it was kind of, it kind of appealed to that kind of conspiracy side. You ever kind of get this kind of, you, you like listening, like, I, I love listening to these conspiracy programs late at night when I'm driving on the road and it's midnight and you hear some kind of alien program. I love listening to that. It's fun. But there's also Christians that kind of want to appeal to that kind of thing. I got a few in here. No. <laughs> there's Christians who want to appeal to that kind of look for, look for the deception in other people and figure out why this group is wrong and why this group is wrong and why this group's totally missed the mark. And I kind of liked that for a little bit. But after a while, I found myself not being more loving, but more suspicious more judgmental. I'm always looking for, oh, they're in doctrinal error. Or, or they, they don't have the truth over there. They're, they've missed it. Whenever we focus on counterfeits, you know what? We start, we start losing the real deal. If our whole life becomes about looking for counterfeits, we're going to forget what the real deal looks like. The Pharisees were great at finding counterfeits. They found them everywhere. Everybody was wrong. Nobody was doing it the way they were doing it. They were the ones who had it all right. And Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, you think you've got it all right, but you don't even you don't even know God. You know, years ago, as a new Christian, probably around the time that uh, that uh, I was listening to AM radio, uh, I, I, I did run across a counterfeit revival one time. I was a part of a church and um, they had. Uh, I, I was only—I'd only been a Christian for about three years or so, and newly married. Dina was a new Christian; she was even newer at Christianity than I was. And the church that I was at at the time was was quite a bit more charismatic. And and this was back around the mid '90s, and there had been a lot of prayer for for revival to break out. There, there, there was kind of these revivals breaking out in different parts of the world, and so we were praying that that our town would be next. And so there was just this. Prayer, you know, prayer going on, fervent prayer for a few months. And then me and my band, we went out of town for a a little retreat. And I'm at this retreat and and I feel like God's starting to speak to me out of the book of Galatians about legalism and stuff. And I'm like, this is great, God. I I don't feel like I'm struggling with legalism, but okay. I was kind of hoping I'd get a song here out on this mountain, but... uh, uh, (laughs) I come back into town, and I tell you, I, I, I hear all these people as soon as I got back saying, the revival's here. God is here. Revival's going to break out. People are going to start coming to know Jesus. And I'm like, yes, this is the, the move of God's Spirit that we've been wanting for so long. 
Except when I showed up at the church, man, things got off the charts weird. I won't even get into all the weirdness. But it, it went from like just being a standard old church to like turning into a cult in a matter of days. You had to take off your shoes as soon as you walked in the congregation. The pastor's office became the Holy of Holies. And you had to have a, a special credentials to get into the Holy of Holies. Anytime a pastor, a pastor starts saying that, run, Forrest. <laughs> and I'm not even going to go into all the other weirdness. It got like crazy weird. I mean, even by the end of the week, there were some people that had gone to a mental institution. I got that off the charts. I'm just saying. But about two days into it, I gave it a good try because I'm thinking, you know, I, I want to be a part. I, I'm, if God wants to do something weird, I'm cool with God doing something weird. I don't have any barriers to that. Uh, I've been around weird stuff that was God before, and God does weird things sometimes. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give this a try. But about two days into it, I finally told Dina one night, I said, you know what? I don't feel the love of God in this. And that scares me. I don't feel the love of God in this. And that night, Dina and I, we're, we, we're like, we're not going to be a part of this any longer. You know, John 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. That's Jesus speaking. You know, if you truly want the truth, you, if you truly want God... You're going to hear the voice of Jesus. I, I sincerely, you know, I hadn't been to seminary. I was a new Christian. I didn't know how to read the Bible very well. But I knew something didn't smell right. <laughs> something was wrong. People weren't more free, more filled with the love of God. Rather, they were becoming legalistic, brainwashed, cult kind of people. That didn't remind me. Of Jesus, and so I was able to run away from that. <laughs> and if you if you if you're ever a part of anything like that, or if you come into contact, there's a lot of people. See, the, the the scary thing is these people they were using Bible verses, they were using all kinds of terminology from Christianity, but they stepped off the page. They were getting into something that was wrong. Now I didn't. The point I'm saying with all this is I didn't find out that there was something wrong by looking for deception. I wasn't trying to find out the counterfeits in my little town. I wasn't hunting for heresies. <laughs> I was familiar with the real thing, and it didn't match up. And I got to tell you, you know, even at this church, I, I don't want you to take my word for stuff, okay? I mean, I think I'm, I'm on track, but, uh, <laughs> but, but ultimately... All that we're doing here is to encourage a relationship between you and God. And you need, to, you need to learn to cultivate that relationship because there's going to come a point where you run into things in your office or uh, in your neighborhood or with your family members and there's not going to be a pastor around or a Bible study and it's just going to be you and God. <laughs> and you're going to have to listen to what God says. God, where are you leading me? What is truth here? Lead me, as, as we sang this morning, lead me in the truth. Lead me in your path. You know, the world that we live in, it tries to get us to buy into all kinds of images of God. There's the patriotic image of God. God is a patriotic American. There's the national 
nationalistic versions. There's the version of God that's very popular in our culture that a lot of people think God's this, this old guy with a stick and a beard, and he's just waiting to beat you down. Did you grow up with any of you grow up with that kind of view of God? <laughs> or there's the kind of just uh, effeminate hippie Jesus that walks around, you know, just dispensing, you know, wise sayings. We always have to come back to what does Jesus actually look like? Immerse ourselves in the real. To be open to the Spirit of God. And say, God, does this line up with you? Does this line up with you? You know, I'm, I'm so good about hating the Pharisee and other people. But the reality is, I got my own inner Pharisee myself. I wrote a song one time that said this. Sometimes I'm the Pharisee pointing out the weaknesses that I see. It's easier to hold my own than to believe. You know, when I see people that are acting like Pharisees in the culture that, you know, like the ones that Jesus was facing, when they're pointing at people and judging people, I, I, I get angry at them. You ever get indignant about that? Oh, that's not the way God is. But, but really, if I'm honest, I have to kind of look within. You know, there's a story in 1 Samuel that I want to kind of read today and close with. Uh, David, King David, was, was known as a man after God's own heart. He wrote most of the book of Psalms, which is the prayer book of the church today. But David, even being a man after God's own heart, a, a, a guy who walked close with God, who knew God... He, he really did some boneheaded things in his life. Probably the most boneheaded thing he did was when he saw his friend's wife named Bathsheba. All, all the guys had gone off into battle. David decided to chill out in the palace. And he walked out one day. He looked over. And I don't know why a woman was bathing naked on a roof. But uh, he sees this woman Bathsheba uh, bathing on the roof. And he's like, Wow. Let me call her up. He sends her over, you know, sends over a messenger, gets her to come over. Uh, they have an affair while one of his friends, Uriah the Hittite, was off fighting the war for him. <laughs> it would have been their little secret, except something happened. She got pregnant. And all of a sudden, David, this guy who had lived so transparently before God, had, had lived such an open life before the king, had, had, had just loved God with all his heart. Now he found himself in a place where he was trying to hide and cover up sin because he didn't want to be found out. And so his first solution is when Uriah comes back from the battle, he's like, okay, Uriah, you need to go in and have a date night with your wife. It's, it's on me. Here's some gift cards to uh, Copeland's and uh, go catch a movie. Why don't y'all, have y'all, you know, why don't you go sleep inside and, you know, spend some quality time. Uriah wouldn't do it. Uriah just camps out on his front door. He's like, how can I go into my wife? How can I spend time with my own wife when there's a battle to fight? And David's like, this normally would have been a great thing for a king to have a loyal soldier. But now he's finding it, it, it's, it's everything he tries to get this guy to go sleep with his own wife so he can say that the kid's his. It doesn't work. And so finally, you know what David does? This man after God's own heart. Finally, he tells one of his commanders, he said, look, in the in the in the heat of battle, uh, I want you to tell all the soldiers except for Uriah to pull back at a certain time. 
And so they do that. So in the midst of battle, Uriah is out there on the front lines, one of David's mighty men, and all of a sudden the signal goes, and all these guys pull back except for Uriah, and he's cut down by the enemy troops. So David thinks he's, he's covered up his tracks. He, he killed Uriah. Bathsheba's going to have a kid, but now she's, she can marry anybody, so David can actually uh, ask, you know, propose to her. Everything can be handled discreetly. Nobody's ever going to know. But then all of a sudden, gets a knock at the door. And this is where I want to pick up the story. Samuel 12, verse 12. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him as his it grew up with him and his children. It shared food with him. Drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. Oh my goodness. He like ate at his table. He loved this lamb. It was like a daughter to him. <laughs> Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And David, when he heard this story, he burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then David said, Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. That's where that saying comes from. <laughs> you the man. <laughs> and I can, I can, I can, uh, I can see David. <laughs> all of a sudden, he, his own judgment comes back on him. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen before? Oh man, he needs to pay back four times. Let's kill him. <laughs> it's it's you. <laughs> let's just be merciful to him and love him and uh, give him a misdemeanor. (laughs) Nathan said, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. If this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you, are dis- you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. I got to be honest. I'm not a big fan of Pharisees. I see a lot of Pharisees in our culture. (laughs) I see a lot of people who are saying they're on the side of God, but but their whole demeanor, their whole way of things, it's it's ugly, it's judgmental. I feel like there's so many people in our world that call themselves Christians that actually keep people from knowing God. I hate that. But if I'm honest, I have to realize that sometimes... That's me. Sometimes it's easier to overlook 
the judgmental attitude of other people and then, uh, and then certainly baptize our own in, into Jesus and just say, oh, well, I'm just critical against the, the bad people. <laughs> the question this morning is, how much of that Pharisee is within you and I? Because I can honestly tell you, even as that story I shared a little bit earlier, as I was a new Christian, when I didn't know any better, all I had to do was, was know Jesus, um, I was a lot less judgmental. There's an old blues song that says, I ain't never been to seminary, but I've been to Calvary. It's a lot more difficult, though, when you start studying the Bible. You start studying things because, as Paul says, knowledge puffs up. Sometimes we, we, we're around church so much, we're around Christians so much, we're, we're, we, 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 we get puffed up with our knowledge. Our heads become swelled. If we're not careful, we stop loving God, we stop loving people. If it can happen to David, the guy who wrote half of the, you know, more than half of the largest book in the Bible, the guy who was a man after God's own heart, it can happen to you, it can happen to me. You know, I keep coming back to, to this, this little story on the night that Jesus is betrayed. The, the, the final night before he goes to the cross. He tells his disciples, one of you guys is going to betray me. Peter gets, you know, starts saying, ah, Jesus, if, any, if anybody's going to run away at the last minute, it's going to be one of these guys, but... You can count on me. I'm Peter. I'm the rock. You know, you call me that. And, and Jesus says, look, you're not going to. But I love the response of, of, of John, the guy who wrote this gospel. He says, is it going to be me, Jesus? And that should be all of our response. It shouldn't be, you guys keep saying the wrong things about God. You are so wrong over there and you're so wrong over there. And, and why can't you do things right? The question should be, Am I going to betray Jesus? Am I going to be, betray the purposes of God? Is it going to be me? Because i got to tell you, that thing is within all of us. So Nobody shot me down now. <laughs> it's within all of us. And I think John's response just shows a little bit more self-awareness than Peter. <laughs> Truth is, Peter was going to betray Jesus question we need to ask Jesus is not will I screw up and, 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 and not, not I'm going to be there for the end of you uh, till the end of this thing that I'm going to follow you till the end. Anytime we start saying that stuff, that's, that's pretty bad. <laughs> the question should always be God. I'm not aware of something. I think I love you. I think I'm ready to follow you. Follow you. But is it going to be me? If there's something in me that, that, that would stand against you, Lord, please reveal it. Please take that down. Please don't let me get in a position like David where I can destroy a lot of people by my own appetites. Lord, please don't let me get into a position like the Pharisees where instead of welcoming those who needed mercy, those who were trapped in sin, that I, I shun them away. Lord, please don't let that be me. And God, if it is me today, God, I repent. I turn away from that, God. I don't want to be that kind of person. 
I just want us to close with a word of prayer right now and just to ask God. Ask God to show us our hearts. Lord God, we pray as the psalmist prayed, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting path, Lord. Search me. Know my heart, Lord. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that that anything in our hearts that, that would be standing against your purposes, God, even, even maybe our own thoughts about you, God. I pray that you would shine the light on them, Lord. God, we just, right now, we just want to repent for our own judgmental attitude towards others, Lord. Our own finger pointing, God. Our own thinking we know everything. That we've got the market on truth cornered. That we've got you all figured out. God, we repent of that today, God. We ask your forgiveness, Lord. Lord, if there's one thing we can see about you, it's that you consistently amaze us and surprise us and do things that do not fit into the box that we try to keep you in. Lord, we ask you for your forgiveness where we have allowed ourselves to be pulled into conversations, judging other people, where we've allowed our to be pulled into conversations where we've judged other groups of people, other religions, Lord, where we have pretended to know your heart. God, we ask your forgiveness for where we've been a part of spreading division and strife and instead of just loving you. And God, I just, I really feel like this morning, God, that well, there's just a lot of us that need to just turn to you afresh, Lord. Turn to our first love, God. And so, God, we, we, we turn to you today, Jesus. We want to lay down. Our thoughts, our dreams, our pride, our agendas, God. We ask that you would be the king. Lord, free us from the Pharisee within. Say this with me. Free me from the Pharisee within, Lord. Take the Pharisee out of me. Jesus' name.